Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by the Times of London. Today with myself, Alex Dibble and Lou Newton. As Israel fights with Hamas near hospitals in Gaza, prompting deep concern for children on the wards, we hear from the Israeli Defence Forces who are defending their tactics in the conflict. Also, we'll bring you a warning about the hostages still being held. Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City, is at the moment surrounded by fighting as Israeli forces battle with Hamas fighters. The World Health Organization have said that the hospital is no longer functioning because there isn't enough electricity or indeed enough supplies. The situation is really dire, and that's particularly the case for newborn babies at the hospital. It's prompting more questions for Israel about why they're putting doctors and patients in such great danger. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conrucus is a spokesperson for the Israel Defence Forces. We are working in order to continue to evacuate civilians from the area. We have humanitarian pauses every day, today as well, and we're doing it for more hours every day. Mm. Regarding the hospital, we are there because there is a significant Hamas stronghold hidden underneath the hospital. That is why we informed more than three weeks ago that we are going to conduct, at the time we said, major combat operations in northern Gaza and that everybody needs to evacuate. Three weeks to evacuate is feasible and possible if you really want to. Hamas doesn't want to, and they want these horrific scenes of poor babies who have done nothing wrong and neither have their parents. In this uh, horrible situation, we are talking with international organizations. We are in contact with the administration of the hospital. We are uh, even telling them which road to use, and we're keeping that safe. And what I think everybody should be aware of is that we are doing so much more to safeguard life and to provide humanitarian assistance than Hamas is doing. At Gaza's second largest hospital, the situation is very, very similar. The Al-Quds hospital is now no longer operational, despite having hundreds of patients needing care and being a place of shelter for 14,000 people. There's no power and there's also a shortage of food and of water. We've been speaking to Benoit Carpentier. He's a spokesperson for the International Federation of the Red Crescent. He's been trying to keep in touch with their medical teams who are working at the hospital. Situationally, is more than dire. Um, the team on the ground has been uh, warning for, for days now or weeks that um, they will have to soon um, stop operating. So that happens over, over the weekend, very unfortunately. So we have very limited information at the moment because also the problem of communications. There's no telephone lines, no internet at the moment because the, the infrastructure and the lines have been damaged by the bombing. They've run out of electricity a few, a few days ago now. So um, they're hosting patients, they're hosting um, people that have been displaced so they're just uh, able basically to do the basic uh, medicines to the patients that are arriving. The conditions both for the medical teams and for the patients are absolutely terrible. Away from the hospitals, Hamas continue to hold Israeli hostages in Gaza. Since being taken five weeks ago, uh, just a few have been released. And Gershon Baskin, who 
facilitated the last hostage exchange with Hamas in 2011, has told the Times today that we're now at a critical moment. He says if there isn't a deal done in the next few hours or perhaps few days, military operations to go into the places where the hostages are will begin. Still to come on The World in 10, the UK's former Prime Minister David Cameron makes a remarkable return and the latest court case to be dramatised. But before that, Iceland. Iceland is bracing for a huge volcanic eruption and it could come at any time. Thousands of people live on Reykjanes Peninsula and they've all been evacuated. Now, at the time that we're recording this, the eruption hasn't happened, but it could, as Lou was saying, any second. Um, the Times' is Ed Halford has been in Iceland, just got back to the UK, uh, and he joins us now on The World in 10. Um, Ed, just explain for us, am I right in saying that this eruption could happen at any point on quite a long stretch, which is sort of miles long? Why is that? So there is a volcano. So the volcano is called uh, Fagradalsajak, and apologies for my very bad pronunciation. But from that volcano, there's a magma tunnel and it runs from Grindavik, which was the uh, town which was evacuated on Saturday. And it goes all the way out, all the way into the sea. And so an eruption could happen anywhere along that line. Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily be out the top of the volcano. No, so it, it could it could occur anywhere along that magma tunnel. This morning, there was 490 earthquakes around Grindavik. And you, as we said, have been there over the last couple of days. What's it like there? What's it like feeling the tremors? And also you visited a meteorological centre, is that right? Yes, so I was there for two days. I uh, visited the Icelandic Meteorological Office. You could feel the sort of energy, the sort of stress. Everyone was sort of trying to prepare for the unpredictability of the situation. I mean, they had people monitoring. There's four radars in Iceland and they had staff who were monitoring those radars around the clock. And, and those those radars could pick up what was happening from the core of the activity 15 minutes or from there. Uh, and when I was there, I, I was at a hotel in Reykjavik and I could I could feel the tremors, the fact that you could feel them in Reykjavik when, you know, the actual centre of the activity is uh, further down uh, towards near Grindavik uh, is very telling. Ed, thank you. Uh, that is The Times' Ed Halford. Um, and indeed, yesterday on The World in 10, we heard from the head of the emergency management for the National Commissioner of Police in Iceland. Do go back and listen to that for more. The thought of someone like Barack Obama coming back to serve under Joe Biden is pretty far-fetched. Mm. Um, But in the UK, something very similar has happened. The former UK Prime Minister, David Cameron, has just been reappointed into government and is now the Foreign Secretary. That's right. It's a very rare move. Uh, The last time something like this happened in the UK was 60 years ago. And I think some people might have an issue with this or might have questions about Mm. it. Just because when he was in power, he drove what was known as the golden era of UK-China relations. And then... After he left government, he kind of continued his relationship with China through some personal commercial projects he was working on. Now, the West and China have, of course, very much changed their relationship since 2016, prompting these questions. 
Despite that, though, the Times' policy editor, Oliver Wright, has told the world in 10, as he was reacting to this deep in the heart of Westminster, as his signal wasn't the best, uh, but he told us that the current UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, might see Cameron's background in this area as an advantage. Obviously, you've seen decisions over the last few years about stripping Huawei away from UK's telecom infrastructure. And more broadly, you've seen a wariness about the way in which Chinese investment in the UK should be treated. It's a much more difficult relationship with China than we've had before. It's not just in the UK, it's also in the US and across Europe. But equally, Cameron may be in quite a good position to sort of reach out to China, have a conversation with them. But certainly, if you were Beijing, you would be pleased that Cameron was in there and you would welcome talking to him. And that may actually be something that Richard Sunak wants. I was confused at first, and I didn't know exactly what was happening. It's a very strange thing to happen on a ski slope. And I froze. So that was Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, That was from March earlier this year. She was giving evidence in a court case you might remember where there was an optometrist called Terry Sanderson and he took her to court because of a skiing accident. But ultimately, Paltrow won. She did. But now the case is being turned into a musical. Um, I think snow must be the common thing because um, Gwyneth Goes Skiing is going to be put on in the run-up to Christmas. The producers have dubbed it as a story of love, betrayal, skiing and somehow Christmas where you're the jury. Prepare to be gooped. But you will have to travel to London to see it. Mm. Uh, There is more on that and indeed all the stories that we've covered um, on today's World in 10 on the Times website. Go to thetimes.co.uk, take out a digital subscription... And I have to say there's a good piece at the moment on why Las Vegas uh, is not going crazy for its brand new Formula One Grand Prix this weekend. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. 